Romans 8 verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And Father, we ask humbly just for your help that you would give to us by the very grace of God the ability to be attentive and alert Lord, even to be desirous and expectant in this very moment, in this time of worship, to believe that there's something that you want to say to us personally through your living and powerful word. So Lord, give us an expectant heart and an ear to hear what your spirit would say to this part of your church. We ask your Holy Spirit would now minister among us and teach us Speak to us and instruct to us. And we thank you in advance for doing such in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, imagine if you would having something like the size of an elephant uh, sitting on your chest. Or maybe perhaps carrying around, let's say, a hundred pound backpack full of bricks all day long, maybe even taking it and transversing up a hill, or how about maybe walking around with just a complete dark cloud all around your head all day long, or being plagued by anxiety and fear and apprehension, kind of always looking over your shoulder, just expecting for some bad thing to happen. Well, let me tell you, those are all pictures, whether one of them or all of them, of what it is like to live under guilt, to struggle with feelings of condemnation over sin. And I can prove that because if you read Psalm chapter 32 and you look at the life of David and his expressions honestly during a time in his life, when there was undealt with sin in David's life, when you read Psalm 32, particularly verses 3 and 4, I encourage you to jot them down and look at them later, David describes there how a sense of personal guilt and personal condemnation in his life over sin affected his entire being. He says, my strength was sapped, my vitality went out of my life. It was like your hand, God, was so heavy Upon me, and he describes how guilt and a sense of condemnation affected him physically, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. And the passage in front of us this morning is about thanks be to God, it's a passage about how to live in victory over personal guilt and condemnation in our lives. It's a passage about how to experience empowerment to overcome sin in our lives, lest we live in perpetual condemnation. Remember our backdrop, Romans chapter 7, we looked at it last time. Paul was addressing as a Christian, as a godly apostle, 
as a pastor, as, a, as someone who was a leader in the church, he was describing his honest struggle as a man with his sin nature. And especially that latter half of the chapter, how he described how though he desired to please God, Paul said, look, to will is present with me. I delight in the law of God in my inward man. I want to do the right thing. I love God now. I want to please God. I want to live for the Lord and obey his word. Yet he described how yet still he failed to perform at times what was spiritual and right. And even worse, he found himself still on occasion fulfilling what was sinful and doing what was wrong, even though he hated doing such. Remember some of the statements he was making where he said in chapter 7, verse 15, for what I'm doing, I don't understand. What I will to do, that I don't practice, but what I hate, those oftentimes are the very things that I find that I keep doing. And he said, I discovered that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And he said, to will is present with me, but how to perform it. I, I find there's a lack of power within me in my own efforts and self-resolve. And, and, and Paul came to that conclusion that he realized, listen, though I realize I'm a sinner, I realize that I don't have the strength or the power in my own self-will or my own personal resolve where if I put myself under some rules and requirements, count the three before you answer or you know, make myself checklists to follow, that none of that works. And remember, Paul found himself literally in a place of despair and disgust because he realized that sin was always there present with him. There was another law at work within his body, that sin nature, that fallen old nature that's still there that now caused a constant resistance and battle between his new spiritual nature and that old sin nature trying to drag him back down into a life of sin. And Paul came to that place of disgust and despair at the end of the chapter where he said, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? In other words, he was saying, I feel like a redeemed man. I'm a new man and I have new desires, but I feel like I'm dragging around this old dead carcass of my sinful fallen body that keeps trying to drag me back into sin and he, he just wanted to be set free from that and came to that place of despair and crying out thankfully not how do i overcome this what process isn't there some procedure isn't there some program i could sign up for and and many times that as i said is the first attempt that many of us make even as christians and there are some people to this day still that that's what they're still doing. They're always looking for the next program. They're looking for the next tape series or, you know, what's the next thing I want to see on the, you know, Christian television program? Who's selling the next $99 CD pack, Keys to Victory? How many times have Christians spent $100 and bought somebody's Keys to Victory and they're still struggling and they haven't obtained victory? All they did was give $100 away. Somebody else got victory, they got your hundred hours. <laughs> and it's not a program, it's not a procedure, it's not a process. What we need is a person, the Bible teaches. That's why Paul says, who will deliver me? He realized it's not what will deliver me or how can I get deliverance, who will deliver me? And Paul said, I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's Jesus that's my day-by-day day and hour-by-hour deliverer. He didn't just save me from the penalty of sin. I need constant fellowship with the person of Jesus Christ because he's the one that gives me the power 
to overcome sin. And that's what chapter 8 is now about. It's the expansion of Paul's discovery that only Jesus can deliver us from the power of sin. We need to lean upon him and let him give us what we don't find within ourselves. And those struggles, however, let's be honest, that we all deal with at times with our sin nature and the times when we still stumble as Christians into sin as we all do, dealing with those things can become powerful motivators, do they not? to living then with guilt and feeling guilt and condemnation in our feelings and our thoughts. Well, Romans 8 is a chapter of how to overcome a life of constant guilt and condemnation. And it's also a chapter that teaches us to allow the Spirit of God to enable and empower us to live a godly life in Christ Jesus and to fulfill that righteous life that only God can empower us by His Spirit to perform and to practice. Look with me in verse 1. Paul first starts out by saying, there is therefore, and again, it's in relation to what he just discovered, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So he begins by declaring here a promise from God for all those who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, to those who are in Christ Jesus. This promise is to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is a description of our spiritual position as a Christian. On the day that anyone, you or I or any person still to this day, on the day a person accepts Jesus Christ as the Savior for their sin, they embrace him as the Lord of their life, they're born again, they're saved as the Bible describes, at that moment the Bible teaches our life is fully joined or immersed into the life of Christ. It's like a marriage, you know, our identity changes, we begin a brand new life experience through that relationship. Remember, that is what we studied together in Romans chapter 6. That our life is joined with Christ and our identity and standing changes judicially and spiritually. That's what it means to be in Christ. Again, when, when my wife said yes and chose to marry me, Her name changed. Her identity changed. She went from being Miss Lackey to Mrs. Montemuro. She's now in the Montemuro family. Her identity changed. And same thing with Jesus. The Bible teaches when you're saved, spiritually you're you're immersed into Christ. You are now in Christ so that when God looks upon you as a Christian because of your faith in Jesus and your union with him, God doesn't see you in your sin. God sees you in his son. So he looks upon you with the favor and the acceptance in the same way he does towards his son because you're in Christ. Your life is hidden and robed in Christ now. And that's how God relates to you as a Christian. And it's important to understand what that truly means. That not only is Christ in you, he lives within you when you accept him by his spirit, but you're also positionally in Christ. And as a result of being in Christ, the promise of that we read for those who are in Christ as Christians is there is now, as the result of that, no condemnation. The idea of now meaning as a result of what Jesus did for you, as a result of what Jesus provided for you, as well as even though you may still struggle in your practice and you may still stumble periodically and and err in sin on occasion, even as a Christian, because of what Jesus has done and because you're in Christ, now there's no condemnation. The word condemnation there speaks of punishment, no coming or expected 
punishment is going to come upon you. All blame as the result of deserved punishment from our past sins and even our present stumbling still. That's been removed and pardoned because of Jesus. And because we are in Jesus, the wrath of God has been averted or turned away from us. So now that you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. There is no coming expected punishment upon you. The reason is because Jesus in his sinless life and then his sacrificial death took care of that on our behalf. Jesus lived sinlessly in a way that I don't, in a way that I can't. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law in his humanity as a mediator, being fully God and fully man, touching divinity and humanity. He lived the sinless life as a man that we could never live. And then he went a step further and he then absorbed the punishment for us sacrificially and substitutionally in our place that we deserve for our sins. So this exchange happens. Jesus says, okay, I accomplished everything for you righteously. Now you give me your sin and in turn I will give you my righteousness. And it's a completely just basis before a holy God in every way judicially for Jesus to pardon our sin because he was punished for it. The condemnation, the wrath of God fell upon Jesus Christ and he absorbed it. And though we'll never be perfect in practice, we can receive a judicial standing of forgiveness in our spiritual position. Remember, this is what Romans 3 to 5 was all about, being justified by faith. That it's just as if I'd never sinned. But even more than that, I'm then even robed in the righteousness of Christ. And God puts the righteousness of Jesus into my spiritual account because of my faith and trust in Jesus. As I put trust in Jesus, God accounts that to me as righteousness and gives me the righteousness of his son. And because of what Jesus did and we've received, listen, there is no punitive action that God has or ever intends to take against you as a Christian. You've been freed from the judgment of God. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As a result of being in Christ Jesus, there is no coming punishment or condemnation. And it's important that we accept that by faith and trust that biblical truth as a promise of God to know that it is absolutely assured, it is stated, and it is accurate. And the reason is because a sense of deserving condemnation or a sense of guilt that, that we still deserve some kind of a punishment in some way for our errors in the past or even our faults and struggles presently, that always leads to what? Guilt. It leads to those emotional and mental experiences of feeling condemned feeling guilt and having thoughts of condemnation whenever anyone becomes aware of their sins from their past if you ponder your failures in the past or or, or even your present struggles and sin we can all be prone to strong thoughts and, and deep emotional experiences of guilt and condemnation in our lives and, and, and we wrestle with it mentally and emotionally and more than that, condemnation and guilt can even paralyze someone spiritually as a believer. And it can cause a believer to just completely be paralyzed in this powerful, debilitating way where the force of condemnation just causes a person to be rendered almost as if they're just handicapped even spiritually as a Christian. 
Perhaps you've experienced this. Maybe this morning you've done something. You've done something in your past. Before you became a Christian, before you met Jesus, when you were still living in the world, maybe you did something in the past. And maybe in your mind it's something grievous. You know, maybe it was an abortion or maybe it was a divorce or maybe it was you did something horrific. Maybe you abused a child or, or just did something and, and whatever. You, you theoretically played out in your life and it's something that you look at. It's that skeleton in your closet. It's that one sting that you're thinking, oh my gosh, if anyone knew that I did that, if anyone, and, and because of that, and it's in your mind, such a grievous, grievous violation, so vile, so corrupt, to this day, maybe that still plagues you. And you still struggle to this day, even as a Christian now, with guilt or condemnation over that, and always in a sense of that you have to be a second-class spiritual citizen. Listen, will you please look what the Bible says here? There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That has been removed. There's no punitive action that God intends to take towards you no matter what you did before you came to Christ because the blood of Jesus is efficient to cleanse us from all sin. That's been washed. That's not even a part of your account spiritually anymore. It's been completely eradicated. You may still see it. You may still struggle with the thoughts or feelings towards it. But listen, by faith, you need to see yourself as God sees you. And you need to accept by faith and believe by faith that God does not see that stain on your account anymore. It's been wiped and it's been removed from your account in every way. And don't let that paralyze you with who you are in Christ now. Or, well, I mean, just because I did this and don't let the devil make me, well, I'll never be able. No, that's not true. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe since you've been a Christian, maybe since you've been walking with the Lord, there was a season in your life where you took a tour and backslid for a little bit or maybe you really stumbled and, and, and did something in such a way even after you were a Christian. When you feel like you knew better and yet you backslid or did something wrong or sinful or, or foolish and to this day you still wrestle with that. And to this day you, you shrink back from embracing the call of God in every way in your life because you feel like, well, yeah, I mean, before I did that, but now that this blemish is on my, now that I did that and I knew better, I mean, it was one thing before I was saved, but I was a Christian, I mean, and the, the pain I caused and the hurt or what I did to my spouse or my family or other Christians or people who weren't saved and, 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 and you to this day still let the devil dangle that over your head. And unfortunately, sometimes we assist one another with that as Christians because we still remind people and kind of dangle that over their head and, and almost, well, yeah, you can be a Christian, but you're always going to be a Christian under my thumb. You're always going to be a B, no A apostle for you. You'll be a B apostle, but no A apostle for you anymore. And, and listen, the scripture says there's no condemnation. No condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, perhaps you're struggling this morning and wrestling with some sin and you constantly are plagued by guilt and condemnation because you keep fumbling in some area that's maybe just a, a weakness and you're perpetually living condemned. And you're letting condemnation and guilt paralyze you and keep you in a place where you almost, in a defeatist attitude, just give in to that sin and struggle because you feel like, I'm just, I've always struggled with it anyway. 
and I'm so condemned and guilty over it, why even bother to try and get victory anymore? This is just who I am. No, it is not. It's not who you are. It's who the devil wants you to believe that you are. You are a justified, sanctified, and ultimately glorified child of God. And don't let guilt and condemnation over what you're struggling with keep you from walking in the fullness of who God intends for you to be. There's no condemnation, the Bible says, because guilt makes us interpret, does it not? It makes us interpret every hardship as some punishment that we're getting from God. So then you have a trial in your life or something doesn't work out or something falls through or you get sick or some difficulty. And listen, I talk to people all the time. I can't tell you how many times I talk to Christians who love the Lord. How many times? And they, they say, well, well I just, what am I doing wrong? What, in essence, what, what is our mind saying? Our mind is saying the reason why I'm going through this hard thing or this didn't work out is because I, I must have done something wrong, right? And God's getting me. What did I do wrong? What am I doing wrong? The same thing everybody did wrong. We sin. And if we're letting guilt and condemnation control our mind and our emotions, we'll always interpret every challenge and hardship as if somehow that's God getting us. You know, he's just, he, he's getting a little shot at us and he's kind of letting us live a second class life. Listen, that contradicts what the Bible says. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Please hear me. We have to remember this because of the sufficiency of what Jesus did. In some senses, for me to think when I go through a hard time that the reason I'm going through this hard time or something bad happened in my life is because God's kind of punishing me for something I did. Honestly, it's not only incorrect, it's really a disgrace and a dishonor to Jesus and the, the, the efficiency and the sufficiency of his shed blood on the cross. As if somehow we're saying that wasn't enough. So God's still got to get me a little. I got to absorb a little bit of the wrath of God still. That's almost dishonoring to Jesus. By faith, we must trust in the reality and not let our minds be ensnared to this, thinking that God's punished us because the devil will. He will. Does he not? He fires thoughts of condemnation into your mind when you fail. And he does it reminding you of your old failures. And then he fuels those thoughts with further feelings and emotions of condemnation. And he bombards us in this way because he knows it's a great paralysis. That's why we must as Christians live by faith. By faith in what the word of God says. Not by our feelings or by our emotions. But believing the word of God is accurate and the blood of Christ has cleansed us from all sin. That's why as a Christian as well, we have to learn to be able to wisely decipher between the difference of condemnation and conviction. There is a difference. Condemnation is from the devil's lying voice. It says things like, you are absolutely worthless. There is no other Christian that is as worthless and, and just sinful and carnal as you are. If other people in the church knew that you struggled with that or did, oh my, what a disgrace. And, and you know, read your Bible. What are you, a hypocrite? You shouldn't re I, read your Bible. That's almost offensive. Don't read your Bible. How could you have just done that and now you want to read your Bible? Pray. Do you think God wants to talk to you? God wants to hear from you? I mean, it's like a slap in the face. After what you've done or what you've been doing, I'm do 
pray. God, that's offensive. Don't talk to God after you do that. That's almost rude. Go to church? Are you kidding me? Do you know how out of place you are in church? You really think you deserve, I mean, how hypocritical is that? You're going to go worship your hands and thank you, Jesus, and then after you just acted the way that you acted? And see, the voice of condemnation is the lie of the devil in such a way in our minds where it wants to make us run and hide from God. And it wants to make us isolate and pull back from God and wants to make us pull away from the things of God. The voice of condemnation is from the pit of hell and it leads to separation from the Lord. And it leads us to pull back from the things of God. The voice of conviction and the experience of conviction, that's from the Holy Spirit. And conviction is a healthy thing where the Spirit of God graciously but honestly reveals our error when we make mistakes. And that's a good thing. And he points out to us and reproves to us our mistake that we made and he prompts us to be grieved over. Oh, man. Oh. And, and to have a sense of godly sorrow, as Paul talks about, that leads to repentance. And conviction comes from God to persuade us to run to the Lord. To run to the Lord in confession, to call it what it was, to stop making excuses, and to cry out to the Lord, to cleanse us, to forgive us, and to seek his help more. Conviction from the Spirit drives a person to the Lord in humility and makes us want the Lord more in our life and sensing our need for him, it leads us to confession and then restoration, not separation, but restoration into a deeper relationship with the Lord. Remember when Jesus caught the woman, caught in the, was, had the woman brought to him, John 8, that was caught in the act of adultery, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus wasn't light on sin. He said, look, I, I do want you to stop what you're doing. I'm not looking to condemn you for what you've done, but I do want you to stop what you're doing. And whenever the Spirit of God's voice is speaking to us in relation to our sin as Christians, it's reminding us, Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just say this because I would be biblically inaccurate if I don't. This promise in Romans 8.1 is not a promise for those who are not in a relationship with Jesus. I, I can't tell you that if you're not in a relationship with Jesus that there's not condemnation coming upon your life. I don't say that in any way to be condemning, but I say it to be truthful and to be lovingly honest to help you avert the condemnation and punishment and wrath of God. For those who are trusting in themselves, they're just kind of, well, I'm going to get by somehow. I'm going to weigh it out in the end and a couple good deeds and bad deeds. And I, yeah, I just, I'm not going all the way, but I, I think it'll just all work out. Listen, I need to tell you on the authority of God's word, if you refuse to trust and accept Jesus as Savior and you're holding out, you need to understand you are not in Christ and if you're still in your old nature and in your you know, condition of Adam, then you're still responsible for your own sin because you've sinned like all the rest of us. And the Bible says the wrath of God abides upon you. Jesus said it himself. Jesus said in John 3, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. So important to realize that the person who's not trusting in Christ is leaving themselves under the condemnation of God. And you will be condemned and punished for your sin unless you turn to Jesus 
and accept his forgiveness and his pardon. That's why also the person who's not in Christ lives in perpetual guilt. They may never admit it. They may never acknowledge it. But they live the perpetual experience that all of us have and all of us do if we're not in Christ, where their conscience has never been eased from the sense of guilt and shame and regret that only comes through accepting Jesus' forgiveness. And like an inward cancer, it eats away at them. Oh, they may act happy, friendly, just all day long, but inwardly, in the depth of their soul, because they're a sinner like everyone else, guilt is eating away and it affects their mind, it affects their heart, it affects their emotions, and it causes them to be dysfunctional in their life mentally, socially, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, until that guilt is ridden from them internally. How glorious as a Christian, and yes, I've stood here a long time purposely. I promise I'll finish the next few verses. How glorious as a Christian to be able to have the inward peace and rest in our conscience. There's no condemnation. God's not condemning you. God's never going to condemn you that Jesus said we can have rest for our soul. One man said that Romans 8 is like a soft pillow for a weary heart. Rest for the soul because of what Jesus has done for us. Now you'll notice in verse 1, that the second half of the phrase in verse 1 there, who do not walk according to flesh, but according to the Spirit, that is in some of your Bible translations, but it's absent from some of the other translations, depending upon what translation you have. And the reason is there's debate over what, whether that phrase belongs there in verse 1 or not, depending upon what ancient manuscript was used in the translation that you have maybe in your lap this morning, whether the King James or the New King James or the NIV or the New American Standard, and scholars, of which I am not, have differing views there in regards to the fact of whether or not verse 1 is supposed to have that latter phrase there, whether it was a copyist insertion. You will notice in all of your translations, however, the exact same phrase, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit, appears verbatim down in the end of verse 4 in every translation because it is in the manuscripts originally. So because it appears in all of the translations in verse 4, rather than spend time, especially since I just spent so much time there at the first part of verse 1, debating and discussing manuscript studies and translations and possible copyist errors and you know these kind of things, uh, we're going to just reserve our comments for where it does appear in all of our translations in verse 4 to give some exposition there. And personally, I don't think it is intended to be a, a uh, conditional statement as much as just a descriptive statement. It's not referring to the condemnation. It's a descriptive statement of what a Christian is. It's someone who walks according to the Spirit rather than according to the flesh. Look what Paul says, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So again, Paul refers to another blessed benefit of the Christian, of the person who is in Christ, and that is this, that I and you have been liberated or delivered from the control of an old way of life that dominated and controlled us so that we can now be freed in order to be directed by a new way of life. We've been set free from the law 
of sin and death so that we can live by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, when you see that word law there in verse 2, it's being used there to refer to a force or a power that's in effect. In other words, we may say things like the law of gravity, and we understand what we mean by that. That's in effect, the law of gravity pushing down upon objects. Or we might say the laws of nature or the laws of thermodynamics. Every natural person who is born is born under the law of sin and death. We all begin life that way. That is, that sinful, fallen nature we're born with, we often refer to it, we see in the Bible here, as the flesh. That fallen, sinful nature that resides within every one of us that makes us, what, magnetically drawn to doing what's wrong and to doing what's evil and disobedient. We saw in Romans chapter 7, Paul said two different times, sin dwells in me. That's what he was talking about. He said there that I find that there's a law within me, verse 21 of chapter 7, that evil is present with me. It's always there, fighting inside of me, trying to draw me to do what's wrong. He said that the law of sin is in my body. And because of that powerful force of the sin nature that's there automatically when we're born, that law of sin and death, that spiritual force, is always dominating and directing a person's desires and thoughts and speech and action from the day that they're born. That's how we begin life. Until we're born again and a different law comes into effect, that's the law that dominates and controls everybody. And it's a law that continues to, to prompt us in our lives. Paul described our life before Christ this way in Ephesians 2. He said, We once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, filling the desires of the flesh and the mind. And the law of sin is at work and alive and in operation among all of fallen humanity, the law of sin and death. And it's prompting us like gravity pushing down upon us continually apart from our control. It's just a law in force prompting us to be driven downward morally and to live disobedient to God. And it's pulling us away from what is godly and causing us to want to walk astray from a life with God. Yet the good news, verse 2 says here, is that in our salvation, Paul says, in our salvation, the good news is that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Jesus, by his authority, liberated us from that enslaved condition of being dominated and controlled by the law of sin and death. He set us free, and one of the primary ways he did that is by supplying, and here's the key, a new and a higher law to live by. That new and higher law, he calls it here, is the law of the spirit of life. And notice the word spirit there is in capital letters. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. See, the moment that we are born again or saved, the Spirit of God indwelled you. He took up residence within your life. He was with you prior to salvation, drawing you to Christ, trying to keep you coming toward Jesus. But at the moment of conversion, the Spirit then takes up residence within. And He comes within our lives. He awakens your spirit so that you can now have fellowship with God who is spirit. And He brings us into intimacy and relationship where we have awareness of God and he gives us desires that are different to please God and, and, and the power and the help to live for Christ and to, to serve the Lord. Paul's going to say in Romans 8.11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, look what he says, dwells in you, 
then he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we now live according to a new law as a Christian. There's a higher law that's now at work within us, and it's one of the major changes that happened in salvation. Before I was saved, I used to live according to the impulses and the persuasions and the constant promptings of the law of sin that was at work in me in my sin nature. And that used to be what governed me because there was no other law at work within me. So I used to live according to the promptings and the persuasions, whatever the law of sin was prompting me to do, that's what drove my life. Now that we're born again, there's a new higher law at work within us, the law of the spirit of life dwelling within us who gives us new impulses and new promptings that directs us how to live godly, how to avoid sin and how to please God and serve the Lord. And it's the spirit of life from Christ dwelling within you that enables you with the power to overcome the temptation to sin now. It's what set you free and he empowers you from within. Again, by way of illustration, it's kind of almost like the law of gravity. The law of gravity is always in existence. It's always in operation. It never goes away. And the law of gravity is what's keeping, for example, here's my, my phone. The law of gravity is what's keeping my phone on this pulpit. It's what's keeping the Bible down on this pulpit, the law of gravity. However, it only takes, pay attention, a higher law to overcome the law of gravity. For example, the law of life. Gravity is keeping my Bible here on this pulpit, but there's a higher law, the law of life, which has the strength of my humanity that can take this Bible and it can overcome the law of gravity. See, if I let it go, gravity works, but the higher law, the law of life, can lift this Bible because the law of life is stronger than the law of gravity. That's why you can jump, some of us not too high, but the law of life, you can overcome the law of gravity. And this is the idea spiritually. The law of sin is like gravity. It's always in operation. It's pushing down upon you. It's pressing upon you. It's trying to persuade you to do what's wrong. But when you're born again, and when Jesus comes into your life and the Spirit of God indwells you, now there's a higher law that's within you in a part of your life. And that higher law, the law of the spirit of life, is stronger than the law of sin and death. So you can live by that higher law and overcome the law of sin and death. That's why Paul's going to say in Romans 8, by the spirit we put to death the sinful deeds of the body. Paul in Galatians 2 will say it this way, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me. And see, the same Jesus that defeated sin when he walked on this earth the Bible says lives in us. So when I don't know how to defeat some kind of sin or temptation, my only recourse is to say, Jesus, but you did overcome this temptation because you faced sin and you never failed. So Jesus, I keep failing with this. So I pray, Jesus, would you, by your life and power, help me to overcome this? Give me the victory and the strength. Paul goes on in verse 3 to say, look, what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So he contrasts here the failure of the law. Now he's talking about the, the, the Mosaic law with the fulfillment of God. Notice the failure of the law, what the law could not do. We've talked extensively about that. The law cannot make us righteous. It just reveals our sinful condition. It gives us the knowledge that we're sinners. The law cannot empower us. It tells us the standard. 
but it gives us no power to fulfill the standard. But again, there's nothing wrong with the law. Notice the problem, he says, is with the weakness of our sinful flesh. What the law couldn't do because our flesh is sinful and weak. In other words, we can't fulfill the standards of the law because we're sinners. We're prone to rebel against the law. In fact, when we see the standard, it draws out of us the rebelliousness that's within us that makes us want to resist it. Yet, I love verse 3 because he says, what the law could not do because of the weakness of our flesh, God did. God did. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves and what he did was it says he sent his son Jesus to live righteously, to overcome victoriously sin. It says he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Again, he came in humanity. He was not in any way guilty of sin, but in the likeness, just like you and I, in our sinful flesh as a man. And on account of sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. That is, he defeated, he judged and condemned sin's penalty and its power in our lives. He goes on, verse 4, to say, so that, here's the reason why God did what he did, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Paul speaks of how the redemptive work of Jesus in the past, as well as his risen life presently, enable us to live godly. To live righteous. God sent Jesus, look at verse 4, to establish a way, excuse me, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be, it says, fulfilled in us. That is judicially, God satisfied because Jesus satisfied it. And experientially, that is God now helps us to live according to the righteous requirements of the law set forth. Notice, however, please don't miss It does not say that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled by us. It says it may be fulfilled in us. Again, it's not us. It's the spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the spirit of God in us fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law. So without striving and personal effort, that's what Romans 7 Oh, I keep trying, I keep failing, I keep trying, I keep failing, I keep trying, I keep failing. It's not fulfilled by us. It's fulfilled in us because the spirit of life in Jesus lives within us. And we begin to find then as a Christian, this supernatural experience where now the spirit of God, as he lives within you, starts to prompt you to want to obey what the law of God says. Now, all of a sudden, the spirit of God within you is empowering you with the ability to obey what the law of God says. So the, the, the law of God says, thou shall not steal. And we go, oh, man, I keep stealing, man, I keep stealing. And then the spirit of life, the higher law, begins to work within you. And now, all of a sudden, he begins to change your desire so you don't want to steal. And he gives you the power to not steal. And he begins to fulfill in you the righteous requirements of the law that you could never fill before. He begins to work in you. So now you begin to live according to the law of God because the Spirit of God is fulfilling that in you and bringing about obedience to those righteous requirements. That's why Paul says as Christians, we experience this as those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's how Paul describes the lifestyle of a Christian. Because of the presence of God at work within us and his Spirit at work within us, we walk according to a new nature now. We no longer live according to the flesh like we once used to live. We now live according to the promptings and impulses of the Spirit. We follow His lead in our life now. 
Paul's going to say in Romans 8, those who are sons of God are, are those who are led by the Spirit of God. This is the mark, the defining mark of the Christian, is that we now live by the Spirit of God rather than according to our old life. It's almost as if, again, there's a new conductor on the throne of your heart as a Christian. Before you were saved, you followed the conductor of the flesh. Now Jesus and his spirit, the spirit of life within you, is the new conductor. Now you're following the cues of the spirit of God, prompting you to walk no longer according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And we become inclined almost naturally to obey what the spirit of God's leading us. And all of a sudden, we start fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law because he's fulfilling it in us. And he's giving us new desires and power. Now, we do have a part in the process, and that's simply this. It's cooperating and yielding. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, he says, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Our responsibility is to yield to what's true. A major part, ladies and gentlemen, of the Christian life is learning to yield to what's true about you as a Christian. And what's available? We are new people. You have a new nature. Believe it and live according to it. Live according to the new you and who you are and what God says and experience that power at work within you. And always remember, and I leave you with this thought this morning, and hear me before you close your Bibles. Always remember that what things, maybe other things cannot do for us or we cannot do for ourselves God is able to do for us. Look with me there in what he says in verse 3. I love just the way it's stated. What the law could not do, God did. What we can't do for ourselves, God can do for us. What are you dealing with this morning? And you're wondering, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I just don't know how I'm going to do this. Maybe it's overcome some sin. Maybe it's facing some struggle. I just don't know how I'm going to do this. Listen, what we cannot do, God can do. God can do it in us. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Maybe you can't do it. That's okay. God can do it.